CD6 Annabelle Curry couldn't have been much good for only two dollars, said Angua. She was aware of a sudden drop in temperature. I shouldn't think so, said Carrot slowly. She's only nine years old. One of his hands gripped her wrist tightly, and the other prized the book out of her fingers. Hey, let go! Sergeant, shouted Carrot over his shoulder, can you come up here a moment? Angua tried to pull away. Carrot's arm was as immovable as an iron bar. There was a creak of Colon's foot on the stair, and the door swung open. He was holding a very small cup in a pair of tongs. Nobby got the coffee, he began and stopped. Sergeant, said Carrot, staring into Angua's face. Lance Constable Angua wants to know about Mrs Gaskin. Old Leggy Gaskin's widow. She lives in Mincing Street. And Mrs Scurrick? In Treacle Street, takes in laundry now. Sergeant Colon looked from one to the other, trying to get a handle on the situation. Mrs Maroon? That's Sergeant Maroon's widow. She sells coal. How about... Annabelle Curry. She still goes to the spiteful sisters of Seven-Handed Sec Charity School, doesn't she? Colon smiled nervously at Angua, still not sure of what was happening. She's the daughter of Corporal Curry, but of course he was before your time. Angua looked up at Carrot's face. His expression was unreadable. They're the widows of coppers, she said. He nodded. And one orphan. It's a tough old life, said Colon. No pensions for a widow, see? He looked from one to the other. Is there something wrong, he said. Carrot relaxed his grip, turned, slipped the book into the box and shut the lid. No, he said. Look, I'm sorry, Angua began. Carrot ignored her and nodded at the sergeant. Give him the coffee. But fourteen dollars, that's nearly half his pay. Carrot picked up Vimes's limp arm and tried to prise his fist open. But even though Vimes was out cold, the fingers were locked. I mean, half his pay! I don't know what he's holding in here, said Carrot, ignoring her. Maybe it's a clue. He took the coffee and hauled Vimes up by his collar. You just drink this, Captain, he said, and everything will look a lot clearer. Clatchian coffee has an even bigger sobering effect than an unexpected brown envelope from the taxman. In fact, coffee enthusiasts take the precaution of getting thoroughly drunk before touching the stuff, because Clatchian coffee takes you back through sobriety, and if you're not careful, out the other side, where the mind of man should not go. The watch was generally of the opinion that Samuel Vimes was at least two drinks under par, and needed a stiff double even to be sober. Careful, careful, Carrot let a few drops dribble between Vimes' lips. And look, when I said, Angua began, forget it. Carrot didn't even look round. I was only... I said forget it. Vimes opened his eyes and took a look at the world and screamed. Dobby! Yes, Sarge? Did you buy the Red Desert Special or the Curly Mounted Straight? Red Desert, Sarge, because... You could have said... Better get me... He glanced at Vimes's grimace of horror. Half a glass of bear huggers. We've sent him too far the other way. The glass was fetched and administered. Vimes unstiffened as it took effect. His palm uncurled. Oh, my gods, said Angua. Have we got any bandages? The sky was a little white circle high above. Where the hell are we, partner? said Cuddy. 
cave. No caves under Ankh-Morpork. Pork. It's on loam. Cuddy had fallen about thirty feet, but had cushioned the fall because he landed on Detritus's head. The troll had been sitting, surrounded by rotting woodwork, in, well, a cave. Or Cuddy thought, as his eyes grew accustomed to the gloom, a stone-lined tunnel. I didn't do nothing, said Detritus. I just stood there, next minute everything going past upwards. Cuddy reached down into the mud underfoot and brought up a piece of wood. It was very thick. It was also very rotten. We fell through something, into something, he said. He ran his hand over the curved tunnel wall. And this is good masonry. Very good. How do we get out? There was no way to climb back. The tunnel roof was much higher than detritus. We walk out, I think. He sniffed the air, which was dank. Dwarfs have a very good sense of direction underground. This way, he added, setting off. Cuddy? Yes. No one ever say there are tunnels under the city. No one know about them. So? So there no way out, because way out is way in, too, and if no one know about the tunnels, then it cause no way in. But they've got to lead somewhere. Okay. Black mud, more or less dry, made a path at the bottom of the tunnel. There was slime on the walls, too, indicating that at some point in the recent past the tunnel had been full of water. Here and there, huge patches of fungi, luminous with decay, cast a faint glow over the ancient stonework. It didn't need to. Cuddy, belonging to a race that worked underground for preference, and Detritus, a member of a race notorious and nocturnal, had excellent vision in the dark. But mysterious caves and tunnels always have luminous fungi, strangely bright crystals, or at a pinch merely an eldritch glow in the air, just in case a human hero comes in and needs to see in the dark. Strange, but true. Cuddy felt his spirits lift as he plodded through the darkness. Dwarfs always felt happier underground. Bound to find a way out, he said. Right. So, how come you joined the watch then? Huh. My girl Ruby, she say, you want to get married, you get a proper job. I not marry a troll what people say, him no good troll, him thick as a short plank of wood. Detritus's voice echoed in the darkness. How about you? I got bored. I work for my brother-in-law, Durrance. He's got a good business making fortune rats for dwarf restaurants, but I thought, this isn't a proper job for a dwarf. Sound like easy job to me. I had the devil of a time getting them to swallow the fortunes. Cuddy stopped. A change in the air suggested a vaster tunnel up ahead. And indeed, the tunnel opened into the side of a much larger one. There was deep mud on the floor, in the middle of which ran a trickle of water. Cuddy fancied he heard rats, or what he hoped were rats, scuttle away into the dark emptiness. He even thought he could hear the sounds of the city, indistinct, intermingled, filtering through the earth. It's like a temple, he said, and his voice boomed away into the distance. Writing here on wall, said Detritus. Cuddy peered at the letters hacked deeply into the stone. Via Cloaca, he said. Hmm. Well now, via is an old word for street or way. Cloaca means... He peered into the gloom. This is a sewer, he said. What's that? It's like, well, where do trolls dump their... Uh, rubbish, said Cuddy. In street, said Detritus. Hygienic. This is an underground street just for, well, for crap, said Cuddy. 
I never knew Ankh Morpork had them. Maybe Ankh Morpork didn't know Ankh Morpork had them, said Detritus. Right, you're right. This place is old. We're in the bowels of the earth. In Ankh Morpork, even the shit have a street to itself, said Detritus, awe and wonder in his voice. Truly, this is a land of opportunity. Here's some more writing, said Cuddy. He scraped away some slime. Kirone the Fourth May Fabricat, he read aloud. He was one of the early kings, wasn't he? Hey, do you know what that means? No one's been down here since yesterday, said Detritus. No, this place, this place is more than two thousand years old. We're quite probably the first people to come down here since... Yesterday, said the troll. Yesterday? Yesterday? What's yesterday got to do with it? Footprints still fresh, said Detritus. He pointed. There were footprints in the mud. How long have you lived here? said Cuddy, suddenly feeling very conspicuous in the middle of the tunnel. Nine, uh, years. That is the number of years I have lived here. Nine-er, said Detritus proudly. It only one of a large number of numbers I can count to. Have you ever heard of tunnels under the city? No. Someone knows about them, though. Yes. What shall we do? The answer was inevitable. They'd chased a man into the Pork Futures warehouse and nearly died. Then they'd ended up in the middle of a small war and nearly died. Now they were in a mysterious tunnel where there were fresh footprints. If Corporal Carrot or Sergeant Colon said, And what did you do then? Neither of them could face up to the thought of saying, We came back. The footprints go this way, said Cuddy, and then they return. But the ones coming back aren't so deep as the ones going. You can see the later ones because they're over the top of the other ones. So he was heavier going than he was coming back, yes? Right, said Detritus. So that means he lose weight. He was carrying something and he left it up ahead somewhere. They stared at the darkness. So we go and find out what it was, said Detritus. I think so. How do you feel? Feel okay. Different species though they were, their minds had focused on a single image involving a muzzle flash and a lead slug singing through the subterranean night. He came back, said Cuddy. Yes, said Detritus. They looked at the darkness again. It has not been a nice day, said Cuddy. That the truth? I'd just like to know something in case, I mean... Look... What happened in the pork store? You did all that maths, all that counting. I dunno. I saw it all. All what? Just all of it, everything. All the numbers in the world, I could count them all. What did they equal? Dunno. What does equal mean? They trudged on to see what the future held. The trail led eventually into a narrower tunnel, barely wide enough for the troll to stand upright. Finally, they could go no further. A stone had dropped out of the roof, and rubble and mud had percolated through, blocking the tunnel. But that didn't matter, because they'd found what they were looking for, even though they hadn't been looking for it. Oh, dear, said Detritus. Very definitely, said Cuddy. He looked around vaguely. You know, he said, I reckon these tunnels are usually full of water. They're well below the normal river level. He looked back to the pathetic discovery. There's going to be a lot of trouble about this 
he said. "'It's his badge,' said Carrot. "'Good grief, he's holding it so tight, it's cut right into his hand.' "'Technically, Ankh-Mor Pork is built on loam, "'but what it is mainly built on is Ankh-Mor Pork. "'It has been constructed, burned down, silted up and rebuilt so many times "'that its foundations are old cellars, buried roads "'and the fossil bones and middens of earlier cities. "'Below these, in the darkness, sat the troll and the dwarf. "'What we doing now? "'We ought to leave it here and fetch Corporal Carrot. "'He'll know what to do.' Detritus looked over his shoulder at the thing behind them. "'I don't like that,' he said. "'It's not right to leave it here.' "'Right, yes, you're right. "'But you're a troll and I'm a dwarf. "'What do you think would happen if people saw us carrying that along the streets?' "'Big trouble. Correct. "'Come on, let's follow the footprints back out.' "'Supposing it's gone when we come back,' said Detritus, lumbering to his feet. "'How?' and we're following the tracks out, so if whoever it was put it there comes back, we'll run straight into them. Oh, good. I'm glad you said that. Vimes sat on the edge of his bed while Angua bandaged his hand. Captain Quirk, said Carrot, but he's not a good choice. Mayonnaise Quirk, we used to call him, said Colon. He's a pillock. Don't tell me, said Angua. He's rich, thick and oily, yes? And smells faintly of eggs, said Carrot. Plumes in his helmet, said Colon, and a breastplate you can see your face in. Well, Carrot's got one of those too, said Nobby. Yes, but the difference is Carrot keeps his armour polished because he likes nice clean armour, said Colon loyally, while Quirk keeps his shiny because he's a pillock. But he's wrapped up the case, said Nobby. "'I heard about it when I went out for the coffee. "'He's arrested Coalface, the troll, you know, Captain, the privy cleaner. "'Someone saw him near Rhyme Street just before the dwarf got killed.' "'But he's massive,' said Carrot. "'He couldn't have got through the door.' "'He's got a motive,' said Nobby. "'Yes?' "'Yes. Hammerhock was a dwarf.' "'That's not a motive. "'It is for a troll.' Anyway, if he didn't do that, he probably did something. There's plenty of evidence against him. Like what? said Angua. He's a troll. That's not evidence. It is to Captain Quirk, said the sergeant. He's bound to have done something, Nobby repeated. In this, he was echoing the patrician's view of crime and punishment. If there was crime, there should be punishment. If the specific criminal should be involved in the punishment process, then this was a happy accident. But if not, then any criminal would do. And since everyone was undoubtedly guilty of something, the net result was that, in general terms, justice was done. He's a nasty piece of work, that coal face, said Colon. A right-hand troll for cries o' praise. Yes, but he couldn't have killed Bjorn, said Carrot. And what about the beggar girl? Vimes sat looking at the floor. "'What do you think, Captain?' said Carrot. Vimes shrugged. "'Who cares?' he said. "'Well, you care,' said Carrot. "'You always care. "'We can't let even someone like—' "'Listen to me,' said Vimes in a small voice. "'Supposing we'd found who killed the dwarf and the clown, or the girl. "'It wouldn't make any difference. "'It's all rotten anyway.' "'What is, Captain?' said Colon. All of it. You might as well try and empty a well with a sieve. Let the assassins try and sort it out, or the thieves. 
He can try the rats next, why not? We're not the people for this. We ought to have just stayed with ringing our bells and shouting all's well. But all isn't well, Captain, said Carrot. So what? When has that ever mattered? Oh dear, said Angua under her breath. I think perhaps you gave him too much of that coffee. Vimes said, I'm retiring from the watch tomorrow, twenty-five years on the streets. Nobby started to grin nervously and stopped as the sergeant, without apparently shifting position, grabbed one of his arms and twisted it gently but meaningfully up his back. And what good's it all been? What good have I done? I've just worn out a lot of boots. There's no place in Ark Pork for policemen. Who cares what's right or wrong? Assassins and thieves and trolls and dwarfs. Might as well have a bloody king and be done with it. The rest of the night watch stood looking at their feet in mute embarrassment. Then Carrot said, It's better to light a candle than curse the darkness, Captain. That's what they say. What? Vimes' sudden rage was like a thunderclap. Who says that? When has that ever been true? It's never been true. It's the kind of thing people without power say to make it all seem less bloody awful, but it's words. It never makes any difference. Someone hammered at the door. That'll be quirk, said Vimes. You're to hand over your weapons. The night watch is being stood down for a day. Can't have coppers running around upsetting things, can we? Open the door, Carrot. But, Carrot began, that was an order. I might not be any good for anything else, but I can bloody well order you to open the door, so open the door. Quirk was accompanied by half a dozen members of the day watch. They had crossbows. In deference to the fact that they were doing a mildly unpleasant job involving fellow officers, they had them pointing slightly downwards. In deference to the fact that they weren't damn fools, they had the safety catches off. Quirk wasn't actually a bad man. He didn't have the imagination. He dealt more in the sort of generalised, low-grade unpleasantness, which slightly tarnishes the soul of all who come into contact with it. Rather like British Rail. Many people are in jobs that are a little beyond them but there are ways of reacting to the situation. Sometimes they're flustered and nice. Sometimes they're Quirk. Quirk handled them with the maxim, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong, so long as you're definite. There was, on the whole, no real racial prejudice in Ankh-Morpork. When you've got dwarfs and trolls, the mere colour of other humans is not a major item, but Quirk was the kind of man to whom it comes naturally to pronounce the word Negro with two Gs. He had a hat with plumes in it. Come in, come in, said Vimes. It wasn't as if we were doing anything. Captain Vimes. It's all right, we know. Give him your weapons, people. That's an order, Carrot. One official issue sword, one pike or halberd, one nightstick or truncheon, one crossbow. That's right, isn't it, Sergeant Colon? Yes, sir. Carrot hesitated only a moment. Oh, well, he said, my official sword is in the rack. "'What's that one on your belt?' Carrot said nothing. However, he shifted position slightly, his biceps strained against the leather of his jerkin. "'Official sword? Great,' said Quirk. He turned. He was one of those people who would recoil from an assault on strength, but attack weakness without mercy. "'Where's the grit, sucker?' he said. "'And the rock?' Ah, said Vimes, you are referring to those representative members of our fellow sapient races who have chosen to throw in their lots with people of this city? Amin, the dwarf and the troll, said Quirk. Have the faintest idea, said Vimes cheerfully. It seemed to Angua that he was drunk again, if people could get drunk on despair. 
We don't know, sir, said Colon. Haven't seen him all day. Probably fating up in Quarry Lane with the rest of them, said Quirk. You can't trust people of their tape. You ought to know that. And it also seemed to Angua that although words like half-pint and grit-sucker were offensive, they were as terms of universal brotherhood compared to words like people of their type in the mouth of men like Quirk. Much to her shock, she found her gaze concentrating on the man's jugular vein. Fighting, said Carrot. Why? Quirk shrugged. Who knows? Let me think now, said Vimes. It could be something to do with a wrongful arrest. It could be something to do with some of the more restless dwarfs just needing any excuse to have a go at the trolls. What do you think, Quirk? A. Don't think, Vimes. Good man, you're just the type the city needs. Vimes stood up. I'll be going then, he said. I'll see you all tomorrow, if there is one. The door slammed behind him. This hall was huge. It was the size of a city square with pillars every few yards to support the roof. Tunnels radiated off it in every direction and at various heights in the walls. Water trickled out of many of them from small springs and underground streams. That was the problem. The film of running water over the stone floor of the hall had wiped away traces of the footprints. A very large tunnel, almost blocked with debris and silt, led off in what Cuddy was pretty sure was the direction of the estuary. It was almost pleasant. There was no smell other than a damp under a stone mustiness, and it was cool. I've seen big dwarf holes in the mountains, said Cuddy, but I've got to admit this is something else. His voice echoed back and forth in the chamber. Oh, yes, said Detritus. It's got to be something else, because it's not a dwarf hall in the mountains. Can you see any way up? No. We could have passed a dozen ways to the surface and not known it. Yes, said the troll. It's a naughty problem. Detritus? Yes. Did you know you're getting smarter again down here in the cool? Really? Can you use it to think of a way out? Digging? the troll suggested. There were fallen blocks here and there in the tunnels. Not many. The place had been well built. Nah, haven't got a shovel, said Cuddy. Detritus nodded. Give me your breastplate, he said. He leaned it up against the wall. His fist pounded into it a few times. He handed it back. It was, more or less, shovel-shaped. It's a long way up, Cuddy said doubtfully. But we know the way, said Detritus. It's either that or stay down here eating rat for the rest of your life. Cuddy hesitated. The idea had a certain appeal. Without ketchup, Detritus added. I think I saw a fallen stone just away back there, said the dwarf. Captain Quirk looked around the watchroom with the air of one who was doing the scenery a favour by glancing at it. Nice place this, he said. I think we'll move in here. Better than the court was near the palace. But we're here, said Sergeant Colon. You'll just have to squash up, said Captain Quirk. He glanced at Angua. Her stare was getting on his nerves. There'll be a few changes, too, he said. Behind him, the door creaked open. A small... Smelly dog limped in. But Lord Vetinari hasn't said who's commanding Nightwatch, said Carrot. Who, oh, yes, seems to me, seems to me, said Quirk, that it's not likely to be one of you lot, eh? Seems to me it's likely to be the watches'll be combined. Seems to me there's too much sloppiness around the place. 
Seems to me there's a bit too much of a ragtag. He glanced at Angua again. The way she was looking at him was putting him off. Seems to me, Quirk began again, and then noticed the dog. Look at this, he said. Dogs in the watch house? He kicked Gaspode hard and grinned as the dog ran, yelping under the table. What about Lettuce Nibs, the beggar girl? said Angua. No troll killed her, or the clown. You gotta see the big picture, said Quirk. Mr. Captain, said a low voice from under the table, audible at a conscious level only to Angua. You got an itchy bottom. What big picture is this, then? said Sergeant Colon. Gotta think in terms of the old city, said Quirk. He shifted uneasily. Really itchy, said the sub-table voice. You feeling all right, Captain Quirk? said Angua. The captain squirmed. Prickle, 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 said the voice. I mean, some things are important, some ain't, said Quirk. Ugh! Sorry. Prickle! Can't hang around here talking to you all day, said Quirk. You, report to me tomorrow afternoon. Prickle, prickle, prickle! About face! The day watch scurried out, with Quirk hopping and squirming in, as it were, the rear. My word, he seemed anxious to get away, said Carrot. Yes, said Angua. Can't think why. They looked at one another. Is that it? said Carrot. No more night watch? It's generally very quiet in the unseen university library. There's perhaps the shuffling of feet as wizards wander between the shelves, the occasional hacking cough to disturb the academic silence, and every once in a while a dying scream as an unwary student fails to treat an old magical book with the caution it deserves. Consider orangutans. In all the worlds, graced by their presence, it is suspected that they can talk but choose not to do so in case humans put them to work, possibly in the television industry. In fact, they can talk, it's just that they talk in orangutan. Humans are only capable of listening in bewilderment. The librarian of Unseen University had unilaterally decided to aid comprehension by producing an orangutan-to-human dictionary. He'd been working on it for three months. It wasn't easy. He'd got as far as ooh, which can mean, well, um, meanings include pardon me, you're hanging from my rubber ring, thank you so very much. It may just be vital biomass oxygenating the planet to you, but it's home to me. And I'm sure there was a rainforest around here a moment ago. He was down in the stacks where it was cool, and suddenly someone was singing. He took the pen out of his foot and listened. A human would have decided they couldn't believe their ears. Orangs are more sensible. If you won't believe your own ears, whose ears will you believe? Someone was singing underground, or trying to sing. The chthonic voices went something like this. Glue, 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 glue. Listen, you troll, it's the simplest song there is. Look like this. Gold, 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 gold. Gold, 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 gold. No, that's the second verse. There was also the rhythmical sound of dirt being shoveled and rubble being moved. The librarian considered matters for a while. So, a dwarf and a troll... He preferred both species to humans. For one thing, neither of them were great readers. The librarian was, of course, very much in favour of reading in general, but readers in particular got on his nerves. 
There was something, well, sacrilegious about the way they kept taking books off the shelves and wearing out the words by reading them. He liked people who loved and respected books, and the best way to do that, in the librarian's opinion, was to leave them on the shelves where nature intended them to be. The muffled voices seemed to be getting closer. Gold, 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 gold. Now you're singing the chorus! On the other hand, there were proper ways of entering a library. He waddled over to the shelves and selected Hump Tulip's seminal work, How to Kill Insects, all 2,000 pages of it. Vimes felt quite light-hearted as he walked up Schoon Avenue. He was aware that there was an inner Vimes screaming his head off. He ignored him. You couldn't be a real copper in Ark Moorpork and stay sane. You had to care. And caring in Ark Moorpork was like opening a tin of meat in the middle of a piranha school. Everyone dealt with it in their own way. Colon never thought about it, and Nobby didn't worry about it, and the new ones hadn't been in long enough to be worn down by it, and Carrot was just himself. Hundreds of people died in the city every day, often of suicide. So what did a few more matter? The Vimes inside hammered on the walls. There were quite a few coaches outside the Ramkin mansion, and the place seemed to be infested with assorted female relatives and interchangeable Emmas. They were baking things and polishing things, Vimes strolled through, more or less unregarded. He found Sybil out in the dragon house, in her rubber boots and protective dragon armour. She was mucking out, apparently blissfully unaware of the controlled uproar in the mansion. She looked up as the door shut behind Vimes. "'Oh, there you are. You're home early,' she said. "'I couldn't stand the fuss, so I came out here. I'll have to go and change soon.' She stopped when she saw his expression. "'There's something wrong, isn't there?' "'I'm not going back,' said Vimes. "'Really?' Last week you said you'd do a full watch. You said you were looking forward to it. Not much gets past old Sybil, Vimes thought. She patted his hand. I'm glad you're out of it, she said. Corporal Nobbs darted into the watch house and slammed the door behind him. Well, said Carrot. It's no good, said Nobby. They say the trolls are planning to march to the palace to get Coalface out. There's gangs of dwarfs and trolls wandering around looking for trouble, and beggars. Lettuce was very popular, and there's a lot of guild people out there too. The city, he said importantly, is definitely a keg of number one powder. How do you like the idea of camping out on the open plain, said Colon. What's that got to do with it? "'If anyone puts a match to anything tonight, it's goodbye, Ark,' said the sergeant morosely. "'Usually we can shut the city gates right, but there's hardly more than a few feet of water in the river.' "'You flood the city just to put out fires?' said Angua. "'Yep.' "'Another thing,' said Nobby. "'People throw stuff at me.' Carrot had been staring at the wall. Now he produced a small, battered black book from his pocket and started to thumb through the pages.' Tell me, he said in a slightly distant voice, has there been an irretrievable breakdown of law and order? Yeah, for about five hundred years, said Colon. Irretrievable breakdown of law and orders is what Ankmore Park is all about. No, I mean more than usual. It's important, Carrot turned a page. His lips moved silently as he read. Throwing stuff at me sounds like a breakdown in law and order, said Nobby. He was aware of their expressions. I don't think we could make that stick, said Colon. It stuck all right, and some of it went down me shirt. Why throw things at you, said Angua. 
It's cause I was a watchman, said Nobby. The dwarfs don't like the watch cause of Mr Hammerhock, and the trolls don't like the watch cause of Coldface being arrested, and people don't like the watch cause of all these angry dwarfs and trolls around. Someone thumped at the door. That's probably an angry mob right now, said Nobby. Carrot opened the door. It's not an angry mob, he announced. Ooh. It's an orangutan carrying a stunned dwarf followed by a troll. But he is quite angry, if that's any help. Lady Ramkin's butler Willikins had filled him a big bath. <laughs> Tomorrow it'd be his butler and his bath. And this wasn't one of the old hip bath drag it in front of the fire jobs, no. The Ramkin mansion collected water off the roof into a big cistern after straining out the pigeons and then it was heated by an ancient geezer who stoked the boiler and flowed along drumming, groaning lead pipes to a pair of mighty brass taps and then into an enamelled tub. There were things laid out on a fluffy towel beside it, huge scrubbing brushes, three kinds of soap, a loofah, Willikins was standing patiently beside the bath like a barely heated towel rail. Yes, said Vimes. His lordship, that is, her ladyship's father, he required to have his back scrubbed, said Willikins. You go and help the old geezer stoke the furnace, said Vimes firmly. Left alone, he struggled out of his breastplate and threw it in the corner. The chainmail shirt followed it, and the helmet and the money pouch, and various leather and cotton oddments that came between a watchman and the world. And then he sank, gingerly at first, into the suds. Try soap! Soap'll work!' said Detritus. "'Hold still, will you?' said Carrot. "'You're twisting my head off!' "'Go on! Soap him head!' "'Soap your own head!' There was a thung noise, and Cuddy's helmet came free. Cuddy emerged, blinking into the light. He focused on the librarian and growled. He hit me on the head. Ooh. He says you came up through the floor, said Carrot. That's no reason to hit me on the head. Some of the things that come up through the floor at Unseen University don't even have a head, said Carrot. Ooh. Or they have hundreds. Why were you digging down there? We weren't digging down, we were digging up. Carrot sat and listened. He interrupted only twice. Shot at you? Five time, said Detritus happily. Have to report damage to breastplate, but not to backplate, on account of fortunately my body got in the way, saving valuable city property worth three dollars. Carrot listened some more. Sewers, he said eventually. It's like the whole city underground. We saw crowns and stuff carved on the walls. Carrot's eyes sparkled. That means they must date right back to the days when we had kings. And then when we kept on rebuilding the city, we forgot they were down there. Mm, that's not all that's down there, said Cuddy. We found something. Oh, something bad. You won't like it at all, said Detritus. Bad, 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 bad. Even worse. We thought it would be best to leave it there, said Cuddy, on account of it being evidence. But you ought to see it. It's going to upset everything, said the troll, warming to the part. What was it? If we tell you, you say stupid ethnic people, you pulling my leg off, said Detritus. So you better come and see, said Cuddy. Sergeant Colon looked at the rest of the watch. 
All of us, he said nervously. Uh, shouldn't a couple of senior officers stay up here in case anything happens? Do you mean in case anything happens up here, said Angua tartly, or in case anything happens down there? I'll go with Lance Constable Cuddy and Lance Constable Detritus, said Carrot. I don't think anyone else ought to come. But it could be dangerous, said Angua. If I find out who's been shooting at watchmen, said Carrot, it will be. Samuel Vimes reached up with a big toe and turned on the hot tap. There was a respectful knock at the door, and Willikins old retainered in. Would sir be wanting anything? Vimes thought about it. Lady Ramkin said you wouldn't be wanting any alcohol, said Willikins, as if reading his thoughts. Did she? Emphatically, sir, but I have here a very fine cigar. He winced as Vimes bit the end off and spat it over the side of the bath, but produced some matches and lit it for him. Thank you, Willikins. What's your first name? First name, sir? I mean, what do people call you when they've got to know you better? Willikins, sir. Oh, right then. Well, you may go, Willikins. Yes, sir. Vimes lay back in the warm water. The inner voice was still in there somewhere, but he tried not to pay any attention. About now it was saying, you'd be proceeding along the street of small gods, just by the bit of old city wall where you could stop and smoke a roll-up out of the wind. To drown it out, he started to sing at the top of his voice. The cavernous sewers under the city echoed with human and near-human voices for the first time in millennia. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Hook-hook! You are stupid! I can't help it, it's my nearly dwarfish blood. We just like singing underground, it comes naturally to us. All right, but why him singing? Him ape? He's a people person. They'd brought torches. Shadows jumped among the pillars in the big cavern and fled along the tunnels. Whatever the possible lurking dangers, Carrot was beside himself with the joy of discovery. It's amazing. The Via Cloaca is mentioned in some old book I read, but everyone thought it was a lost street. Superb workmanship. Lucky for you, the river was so low. It looks as though these are normally full of water. That's what I said, said Cuddy. Full of water, I said. He glanced cautiously at the dancing shadows which made weird and worrying shapes on the far wall. Strange biped animals, eldritch underground things. Carrot sighed. Stop making shadow pictures, Detritus. Ooh. What him say? He said, do deformed rabbit, it's my favourite, Carrot translated. Rats rustled in the darkness. Cuddy peered around. He kept imagining figures back there, sighting along some kind of pipe. There was a disturbing few moments when he lost sight of the tracks on the whetstone, but he picked them up again near a mould-hung wall. And then there was the particular pipe. He'd made a scratch on the stones. It's not far along, he said, handing Carrot the torch. Carrot disappeared. They heard his footsteps in the mud, and then a whistle of surprise, and then silence for a while. Carrot reappeared. My word, he said. You two know who this is? It looks like, Cuddy began. It looks like trouble, said Carrot. You see why we didn't bring it back up, said Cuddy. 
Carrying a human's corpse through the streets right now would not be a good idea, I thought. Especially this one. I thought some of that too, Detritus volunteered. Right enough, said Carrot. Well done, men. I think we'd better leave it for now and come back with a sack later on. And don't tell anyone else. Except the sergeant and everyone, said Cuddy. No, not even them. It'd make everyone very jumpy. Just as you say, Corporal Carrot. We're dealing with a sick mind here, men. Underground light dawned on Cuddy. Ah, he said. You suspect Corporal Nobbs, sir? This is worse. Come on, let's get back up. He looked back towards the big pillar-barred cavern. Any idea where we are, Cuddy? Could be under the palace, sir. That's what I reckoned. Of course, the tunnels go everywhere. Carrot's worried train of thought faltered away on some distant track. There was water in the sewers, even in this drought. Springs flowed into them, or water filtered down from far above. Everywhere was the drip and splash of water and cool, cool air. It would almost be pleasant were it not for the sad, hunched corpse of someone that looked for all the world like Beano the Clown. Vimes dried himself off. Willikins had also laid out a dressing gown with brocade on the sleeves. He put it on and wandered into his dressing room. That was another new thing. The rich even had rooms for dressing in, and clothes to wear while you went into the dressing rooms to get dressed. Fresh clothes had been laid out for him. Tonight there was something dashing in red and yellow. About now he'd be patrolling Treacle Mine Road, and a hat. It had a feather in it. Vimes dressed himself and even wore the hat, and he seemed quite normal and composed until he realised that he avoided meeting his own gaze in the mirror. The watch sat around the big table in the guardroom and in deep gloom. They were off duty. They'd never really been off duty before. What say we have a game of cards, said Nobby, brightly. He produced a greasy pack from somewhere in the noisome recesses of his uniform. You won everyone's wages off them yesterday, said Sergeant Colon. Now's a chance to win them back, then. Yeah, but there were five kings in your hand, Nobby. Nobby shuffled the cards. It's funny, that, he said. There's kings everywhere when you look. There certainly is if you look up your sleeve. No, I mean, there's kings weighing ark and kings in cards, and we get the king's shilling when we join up, said Nobby. We've got kings all over the place except on that gold throne in the palace. I'll tell you, there wouldn't be all this trouble around the place if we had a king. Carrot was staring at the ceiling, his eyebrows locked in concentration. Detritus was counting on his fingers. Oh, yes, said Sergeant Colon. Beer it be a penny a paint. The trees had bloom again. Oh, yeah, every time someone stubs a toe in this town, turns out it wouldn't have happened if there'd been a king. Vimes would go spare to hear you talk like that. People had listened to a king, though, said Nobby. Vimes would say that's the trouble, said Colon. It's like that thing of his about using magic. That stuff makes him angry. How you get a king in the first place, said Detritus. Someone sawed up a stone, said Colon. Huh? Anti-siliconism? Nah, someone pulled a sword out of a stone, said Nobby. How'd he know it was there then? Colon demanded. It, 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 it was sticking out, wasn't it? Where anyone could have grabbed it? In this town? Only the rightful king could do it, see? 
said Nobby. Oh, right, said Colon. I understand. Oh, yes. So what you're saying is someone had decided who the rightful king was before he pulled it out? Sounds like a fix to me. Probably someone had a fake hollow stone and some dwarf inside hanging on the other end with a pair of pliers until the right guy came along. A fly bounced on the window pane for a while, then zigzagged across the room and settled on a beam where Cuddy's idly thrown axe cut it in half. You got no soul, Fred, said Nobby. I wouldn't have minded being a knight in shining armour. That's what a king does if you're useful. He makes you a knight. A knight watchman in crappy armour is about your metier, said Colon, who looked around proudly to see if anyone had noticed the slanty thing over the E. Nah, catch me being respectful to some bloke because he just pulled a sword out of a stone. That don't make you a king. Mind you, he said, someone who could shove a sword into a stone. A man like that, now he's a king. A man like that would be an ace, said Nobby. Angua yawned. Ding, 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 ding. What the hell's that, said Colon. Carrot's chair thumped forward. He fumbled in his pocket and pulled out a velvet bag, which he upended on the table. Out slid a golden disc about three inches across. When he pressed a catch on one side, it opened like a clamshell. The stopped watch peered at it. It's a clock, said Angua. A watch, said Carrot. It's very big. That's because of the clockwork. There has to be room for all the little wheels. The small watches just have those little time demons in, and they don't last anyway. They keep rotten time. Ding, 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 ding. And it plays a tune, said Angua. Every hour, said Carrot. It's part of the clockwork. Ding, 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 ding. And it chimes the hours afterwards, said Carrot. It's slow then, said Sergeant Colon. All the others just struck. You couldn't miss them. My cousin Jorgen makes ones like these, said Cuddy. They keep better time than demons or water clocks or candles, or those big pendulum things. There's a spring and wheels, said Carrot. The important bit, said Cuddy, taking an eyeglass from somewhere in his beard and examining the watch carefully, is a little rocking thing of me that stops the wheels from going too fast. How does it know if they're going too fast? said Angua. It's kind of built in, said Cuddy. Don't understand it much myself. What's this inscription here? He read it aloud. A watch from your old friends in the watch. It's a play on words, said Carrot. There was a long embarrassed silence. Um, I chipped in a few dollars each from you new recruits, he added, blushing. I mean, you can pay me back when you like, if you want to. I mean, you'd be bound to be friends once you'd got to know him. The rest of the watch exchanged glances. He could lead armies, Angua thought. He really could. Some people have inspired whole countries to great deeds because of the power of their vision, and so could he, not because he dreams about marching hordes or world domination or an empire of a thousand years, just because he thinks that everyone's really decent underneath and would get along just fine if only they made the effort. And he believes that so strongly, it burns like a flame which is bigger than he is. He's got a dream, and we're all part of it, so that it shapes the world around him. And the weird thing is that no one wants to disappoint him. It'd be like kicking the biggest puppy in the universe. It's a kind of magic. The gold's rubbing off, said Cuddy, but it's a good watch, he added quickly. 
I was hoping we could give it to him tonight, said Carrot, and all go out for a drink. Not a good idea, said Angua. Leave it until tomorrow, said Colon. We'll form a guard of honour at the wedding. That's traditional. Everyone holds their swords up in a kind of arch. We've only got one sword between us, said Carrot glumly. They all stared at the floor. It's not fair, said Angua. I don't care who stole whatever they stole from the assassins, but he was right to try and find who killed Mr. Hammerhawk, and no one cares about lettuce nibs. I like to find out who shoot me, said Detritus. Beats me why anyone would be daft enough to steal from the assassins, said Carrot. That's what Captain Vimes said. He said you'd have to be a fool to think of breaking into that place. They stared at the floor again. Like a clown or a jester, said Detritus. Detritus, he didn't mean a cap and bells fool, said Carrot in a kindly voice. He just meant you'd have to be some sort of idiot. He stopped. He stared at the ceiling. Oh my, he said. It's as simple as that. Simple as what, said Angua. Someone hammered at the door. It wasn't a polite knock, it was the thumping of someone who was either going to have the door open for them or break it down. A guard stumbled into the room. Half his armour was off and he had a black eye, but he was just recognisable as Scully Muldoon of the Day Watch. Colon helped him up. Being in a fight, Scully. Scully looked up at Detritus and whimpered. The buggers attacked the watch house. Who? Them? Carrot patted him on the shoulder. This isn't a troll, he said. This is Lance Constable Detritus. Don't salute. Trolls attacked the day, watch. They're chucking cobbles. You can't trust them, said Detritus. Who? said Cully. Trolls? Nasty pieces of work, in my opinion, said Detritus, with all the conviction of a troll with a badge. They need keeping an eye on. What's happened to Quirk? said Carrot. I don't know. You lot have got to do something. We're stood down, said Colon. Official. Oh, don't give me that. Ah, said Carrot brightly. He pulled a stub of pencil out of his pocket and made a little tick in his black book. You still got that little house in Easy Street, Sergeant Muldoon? What? Well, yeah, yes, what about it? Is the rent worth more than a farthing a month? Muldoon stared at him with his one operating eye. Are you simple or what? Carrot gave him a big smile. That's right, Sergeant Muldoon. Is it, though, worth a farthing, would you say? There's dwarfs running around the streets looking for a fight, and you want to know about property prices? A farthing? Don't be daft, it's worth at least five dollars a month. Ah, said Carrot, ticking the book again. That'd be inflation, of course, and I expect you've got a cooking pot. Do you own at least two and one-third acres and more than half a cow? All right, all right, said Muldoon. It's some kind of joke, right? I think probably the property qualification can be waived, said Carrot. It says here that it can be waived for a citizen in good standing. Finally, has there been, in your opinion, an irreparable breakdown of law and order in the city? They turned over Throat Dibbler's barrow and made him eat two of his sausages in a bun. Oh, I see, said Colon. Without mustard? I think we can call that a yes, said Carrot. He ticked the page again and closed the book with a definite snap. We'd better be going, he said. We were told, Colon began. 
"'According to the laws and ordinances of Ankh-Morpork,' said Carrot, "'any residents of the city in times of the irreparable breakdown of law and order "'shall, at the request of an officer to the city, who is a citizen in good standing,' There's a lot of stuff here about property and stuff. And then it goes on, form themselves into a militia for city defence. What does that mean? said Angua. Militia? mused Sergeant Colon. Hang on, you can't do that, said Muldoon. That's nonsense. It's the law. Never been repealed, said Carrot. We've never had a militia. We never needed one. Until now, I think... "'Now look here,' said Muldoon. "'You come back with me to the palace. "'Your men are the watch.' "'And we're going to defend the city,' said Carrot. "'People were streaming past the watch-house. "'Carrot stopped a couple by the simple expedient of sticking out his hand. "'Mr Popley, isn't it?' he said. "'How's the grocery business? "'Hello, Mrs Popley.' "'Ain't you heard?' said the flustered man. "'The trolls have set fire to the palace.' "'He followed Carrot's gaze up Broadway,' to where the palace stood squatting dark in the early evening light. Ungovernable flames failed to billow from every window. My word, said Carrot. And there's dwarfs breaking down windows and everything, said the grocer. A dog's not safe. You can't trust them, said Cuddy. The grocer stared at him. Are you a dwarf? he said. Amazing. How do people do it? said Cuddy. "'Well, I'm off. I'm not stopping to see Mrs Popley ravished by the little devils. "'You know what they say about dwarfs?' "'The watch watched the couple head off into the crowd again. "'Well, I don't,' said Cuddy, to no one in particular. "'What is it they say about dwarfs?' "'Carrot fielded a man pushing a barrow. "'Would you mind telling me what's going on, sir?' he said. "'And do you know what it is they say about dwarfs?' said a voice behind him. "'That's not a sir, that's throat,' said Colon. "'And will you look at the colour of him?' "'Should he be all shiny like that?' said Detritus. "'Feeling fine, feeling fine. <laughs> "'So much for people importuning the standard of my merchandise.' "'What's happening, throat?' said Colon. "'They say,' Dibbler began, green in the face. "'Who says?' said Carrot. "'They say,' said Dibbler. "'You know, they, everyone.' They say the trolls have killed someone up at Dolly Sisters and the dwarfs have smashed up Chalky the Trolls all-night pottery and they've broken down the brass bridge and... Carrot looked up the road. You just came over the brass bridge, he said. Yeah, well, that's what they say, said Dibbler. Oh, I see. Carrot straightened up. Did they happen to say, sort of in passing, anything else about dwarfs, said Cuddy? I think we're going to have to go and have a word with the day watch about the arrest of Coalface, Carrot said. We ain't got no weapons, said Colon. I'm certain Coalface has nothing to do with the murder of Hammerhawk, said Carrot. We are armed with the truth. What can harm us if we are armed with the truth? Well, a crossbow bolt can, e.g. go right through your eye and out the back of your head, said Sergeant Colon. All right, Sergeant, said Carrot. So where do we get some more weapons? The bulk of the armoury loomed against the sunset. It was strange to find an armoury in a city which relied on deceit, bribery and assimilation to defeat its enemies, but as Sergeant Colon said, once you'd won their weapons off them, you needed somewhere to store the things. Carrot rapped on the door. After a while there were footsteps and a small window slid back. A suspicious voice said, Yes? Corporal Carrot, city militia. Never heard of it. Bugger off. The hatch snapped back. Carrot heard Nobby snigger. 
He thumped on the door again. Yes? I'm Corporal Carrot. The hatch moved, but hit Carrot's truncheon as he rammed it in the hole. And I'm here to collect some arms for my men. Yeah? Where's your authority? What? But I'm... The truncheon was knocked away, and the hatch thudded into place. Excuse me, said Corporal Nobbs, pushing past. Let me have a go. I've been here before, sort of thing. He kicked the door with his steel-capped boots, known and feared wherever men were on the floor and in no position to fight back. Snap. I told you to bugger... Auditors, said Nobby. There was a moment's silence. What? Here to take the inventory. Where's your authority? Oh, oh, he says, where's my authority? Nobby leered at the guards. Oh, keeps me hanging around here while his cronies can nip out the back to bring the stuff back out of the ock, eh? I never... And then, yeah, we'll get the old thousand swords trick, yeah? Fifty crates stacked up, turns out the bottom forty are full of rocks. Well, I... What's your name, mister? I... You open this door right now. The hatch shut. There was the sound of bolts being pulled back by someone who was not at all convinced it was a good idea and would be asking searching questions in a minute. Got a piece of paper on you, Fred, quick. Yes, but, said Sergeant Colon, any paper, now. Colon fumbled in his pocket and handed Nobby his grocery bill just as the door opened. Nobby swaggered in at high speed, forcing the man inside to walk backwards. Don't run off, he shouted. I haven't found anything wrong. I wasn't running yet. Carrot had time to get an impression of a cavernous place full of complicated shadows. Apart from the man, who was fatter than Colon, there were a couple of trolls who appeared to be operating a grindstone. Current events did not seem to have penetrated the thick walls. All right, no one panic. Just stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing, please. I'm Corporal Nobbs, Ankh Morpork City Ordnance Inspection City Audit. The piece of paper was waved in front of the man's eyes at vision-blurring speed and Nobby's voice faltered a bit as he contemplated the end of the sentence. Bureau, uh, special audit, inspection. How many people work here? Just me. Nobby pointed at the trolls. What about them? The man spat on the floor. Oh, I thought you said people. Carrot stuck out his hand automatically, and it slammed against Detritus's breastplate. OK, said Nobby, let's see what we've got here. He walked fast along the rack so that everyone else had to run to keep up. What's this? Uh, don't know, eh? Sure, it's, um, it's, um, a triple-stringed 2,000-pound carriage-mounted siege crossbow with double-action windlass? Right. Isn't this a Clatchian reinforced crossbow with a goat-leg cocking mechanism and the under-halfed bayonet? Uh, yeah? Nobby gave it a cursory examination and then tossed it aside. The rest of the night watch looked on in astonishment. Nobby had never been known to wield any weapon beyond a knife. Have you got any of those Hershebean 12-shot bows with the gravity feed? He snapped. Hey, uh, what you see is what we got, mister. Nobby pulled a hunting crossbow from its rack. His skinny arms twanged as he hauled on the cocking lever. Sold the bolts for this thing. They're right there. Nobby selected one from the shelf and dropped it into its slot. Then he sighted along the shaft. He turned. I like this inventory, said Nobby. We'll take it all. The man looked down the sights at Nobby's eye, and to Angua's horrified admiration, didn't faint. That little bow don't scare me, he said. 
This little bow scare you? said Nobby. No, right, this is a little bow. A little bow like this wouldn't scare a man like you because it's such a little bow. It'd need a bigger bow than this to scare a man like you. Angua would have given a month's pay to see the quartermaster's face from the front. She'd watched as Detritus had lifted down the siege bow, cocked it with one hand and a barely audible grunt, and stepped forward. Now she could imagine the eyeballs swivelling as the coldness of the metal penetrated the back of the armourer's fleshy red neck. Now the one behind you, that's a big bow, said Nobby. It wasn't as if the six-foot iron arrow was sharp. It was supposed to smash through doorways, not do surgery. Can I pull the trigger yet? Detritus rumbled into the man's ear. You wouldn't dare fire that thing in here. That's a siege weapon. It'd go right through the wall. Eventually, said Nobby. What this bit for? said Detritus. Now look. I hope you keep that thing maintained, said Nobby. Them things were a bugger for metal fatigue, especially on the safety catch. What are a safety catch? said Detritus. Everything went quiet. Carrot found his voice a long way off. Corporal Nobbs? Yes, sir? I'll take over from this point, if, if you don't mind. He gently pushed the siege bow away, but Detritus hadn't liked the crack about people, and it kept swinging back again. Now, said Carrot, I don't like this element of coercion. We're not here to bully this poor man. He's a city employee just like us. It's very wrong of you to put him in fear. Why not just ask? Sorry, sir, said Nobby. Carrot patted the armourer on the shoulder. May we take some weapons, he said. What? Some weapons for official purposes. The armourer looked unable to cope with this. You mean, I've got a choice? he said. Why, certainly. We practice policing by consent in Ark Morpork. If you feel unable to agree to our request, you have only to say the word. There was a faint bong as the tip of the iron arrow once again bounced on the back of the armourer's skull. He sought in vain for something to say because the only word he can think of right now was fire. Uh, he said, uh, uh, yeah, uh, right, sure. Uh, take what you want. Fine, fine, and Sergeant Colon will give you a receipt, adding, of course, that you release the weapons of your own free will. My own free will? You have absolute choice in the matter, of course. The man's face screwed up in the effort of desperate cogitation. I reckon... Yes? I reckon it's OK for you to take them. Take them right away. Good man. Do you have a trolley? And do you happen to know what it is they say about dwarfs? said Cuddy. It crept over Angua once again that Carrot had no irony in his soul. He meant every word. If the man had really held out, Carrot would probably have given in. Of course, there was a bit of a gap between probably and certainly. Nobby was down the end of the row, occasionally squeaking with delight as he found an interesting war hammer or an especially evil-looking glaive. He was trying to hold everything all at once. Then he dropped the lot and ran forward. Oh, wow! A Clatchian fire engine! This is more my meteor! They heard him rummaging around in the gloom. He emerged pushing a sort of bin on small squeaky wheels. It had various handles and fat leathery bags, and a nozzle at the front. It looked like a very large kettle. The leather's been kept greased too. 
What is it? said Carrot. And there's oil in the reservoir. Nobby pumped a handle energetically. Last I heard, this thing had been banned in eight countries and three religions said they'd excommunicate any soldiers found using it. Five more embraced it as a holy weapon and instructed that it be used on all infidels, heretics, gnostics and people who fidgeted during the sermon. Anyone got a light? Here, said Carrot, but what's... Watch! Nobby lit a match, applied it to the tube at the front of the device and pulled a lever. They put out the flames eventually. Needs a bit of adjustment, said Nobby through his mask of soot. No, said Carrot. For the rest of his life he'd remember the jet of fire scorching his face en route to the opposite wall. But it's... No, it's too dangerous. It's meant to be. I mean, it could hurt people. Ah, said Nobby. Right, you should have said. We're after weapons that don't hurt people, right? End of CD 6